Street Epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. You can learn more about Street Epistemology at streetepistemology.com. My name is on Reddit, Sleepy Vishla, and I am here to welcome you today for this event that we are super excited about. Um, I am a moderator at the Herman Cain Award over at Reddit, and I'm also a member of several groups that focus on COVID denialism and vaccine misinformation and vaccine hesitancy. If you, like me, have spent any time in those groups, you'll quickly see that there are many people concerned about loved ones friends, colleagues, and others who are refusing to take the COVID vaccine. And if you wanna share uh, to the second slide, go ahead, there you go. You can see from this, as I've been cataloging them, from March 18th this year through November 20th, 72 posts have been made just on Reddit, asking for advice on how to convince someone else to get the COVID vaccination. It's a huge, huge issue. And if you're here today, you may have even been one of those people and you're probably concerned about somebody close to you. This event today came about because I actually stumbled across a tip sheet made by the guys that you're gonna meet and hear from today. It's a tip sheet about talking with people about vaccine hesitancy. And as I read through some of the information on there, I got pretty excited and you can see right there. We're going to provide you a link to this so that you can have this today as well. After being so closely associated with this issue for so long, I really felt that this could be another tool that you could use to speak with people that you're worried about. And I'll be upfront, today it's not about statistics and it's not about medical issues. We're not here to talk about that today. What we are here to talk about is to give you another tool with which you can have productive conversations about this emotionally charged topic. Because if you're here, you've already tried statistics and logic, reason, crying, bribing, begging, yelling, and many of you have probably just walked away. And I don't fault you for that, if that's where you got to. But the problem with all of those is that that is working, you know, at some point, if you've used all of those, you have nothing left, right? And yet you're still concerned. So when I came across this tip sheet today, or this week, I got excited because this is going to show you a different type of approach from street epistemology. This is based on the Socratic method and it provides a framework for examining a person's beliefs through calm and respectful dialogue. And it really helps you and they see if the methods they use to form that belief are themselves reliable. I'll be upfront, this may not, you know, there's no quick fixes like everything, there's no guarantees. But at this point, if you're here, you're probably ready for yet another tool. And so with all that, that's my introduction, Anthony. I'm gonna pass it over to you. Thank you, Sleepy, really appreciate it. I'm very excited to be here. I'm here with a bunch of friends. I've been working with these folks for the last year or so developing a course to teach people this approach. I saw the word convince a lot earlier. And what we do in street epistemology is really not try to convince, but understand how people became convinced. So that flips the whole model. So this is probably counterintuitive to a lot of people. 
but we're eager to to share this with you. I've been going out and having conversations with people for the last eight years using this method, developing it, uh, practicing it, sharing it with others in the community to try to get better at it. And I think we have. I've been uploading my videos to my channel, giving talks and workshops on this. And we even started a nonprofit organization. I'm actually here personally, just out of my own interest. I'm not representing the organization necessarily here, but uh, I'm very excited to be here. This is going to be fun, I think, and probably a good learning experience for all of us. Let me hand it over to Reed Nicewonder. Reed, do you want to go next? Sure thing. Hello, everybody. This is going to be a lot of fun. Love the Reddit AMAs. And I've never seen a AMA like, you know, with a live stream while we while we respond to the questions. This is going to be great. So I'm Reed Nice Wonder. I have the YouTube channel, Cordial Curiosity, and I'm also president of Street Epistemology International. Been a fan of SE for going on, what is it, six, seven years now. Been a practitioner for a while. And I, I love it. Love the method. And I think it's going to really help a lot of people. So, all right, great. Let's go to Mark. Hi, um, my name is Mark Solomon. I have the YouTube channel Being Reasonable, and I'm really excited to be here today because I think this is such an important issue in, in our country right now. And and if we can have be these great, better conversations with others and 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 see where we, each other are coming from and, and help people make better decisions in this area, uh, I'm so for that. Um, I got into street epistemology basically by uh, first seeing Anthony's and Reed's uh, videos on YouTube and uh, and it seems like such a magnificent uh, tool that uh, I thought I'd try to give it uh, a shot myself. So uh, uh, thanks for joining us. And he did and he's really good at it too. So make sure you check out his channel. He actually has some good examples of using SE with vaccine hesitant people at a rally in his area, which is really good. Thanks. Who's next? Go for it, Bob. Yeah. All right. Well, th thank you, Sleepy, for having us. Um, my name is Bob Swanson. I've got a YouTube channel, Mortgage Hill Musings. I'm a university instructor. I'm also a husband, a father, and a COVID breakthrough case survivor. But for me, I, it was a, a week of rather inconvenient symptoms, but very mild, a very mild case. Um, but I, I really am attracted to SE, first of all, as a way of highlighting critical thinking skills, and particularly in this this topic, which is so important to the, the welfare of, of so many, uh, I think that it's, it's really worth highlighting this approach. If you've, try, if you've done the, the debate and the emotion and all that kind of stuff, uh, consider this another, at least another option. It may be more suited to you know, your personality. I find that SE resonates better for me, works better for me than a debate kind of approach. So uh, yeah, hopefully you'll gain a little bit of insight. I'll toss it over to Ram. Hello, everyone. Happy to be here. Uh, my name is Roman Tarasov, or Rom for short. I come from Russia. So yeah, I'm a manager of the Russian street epistemology community, also a subject matter expert on the street epistemology course development team. And uh, I really hope and believe that this approach that we're going to be talking about today has something interesting, something uh, new and relevant to add to our everyday conversations about about anything that matters, basically. So I'm really hopeful that this will be something of much use to to you all. So I pass it on to Robert. 
Oh, hello. Uh, my name is Robert Hamilton. I'm uh, he up here in Canada. Um, I'm a, a longtime uh, street epistemology enthusiast and practitioner without a YouTube channel at this point. But um, I'm the project uh, manager for the Street Epistemology Course Development Project and um, have been uh, working on this for uh, quite a while with this august team of experts in uh, <laughs> in uh, street epistemology. Uh, so yeah, it's... Uh, SE, um, as we'll as we'll learn a little later on today, um, has a lot uh, to contribute in terms of uh, vaccine hesitancy and dealing uh, with those kinds of conversations. I'll just mention very quickly up here in Canada, we've already had our our, our Thanksgiving up here. We're in uh, in our in our in our family Thanksgiving dinner. There was some uh, yelling and this and and debate. On this very issue, so um, uh, yeah, it's 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 a very personal thing that touches people's lives uh, in a very practical way. So uh, with that, I'll pass it on to Nathan. Hi, my name is Nathan. Uh, I have a YouTube channel called Abstract Activist, um, and I discovered street epistemology through YouTube videos. Uh, and the the thing that really caught my eye is that this is an approach that anyone can learn, and I. And I challenged myself to learn it, read a, a couple of books. And before you knew it, I started going out and having conversations with people, recording them and challenging myself to improve uh, so that I can make a difference and also learn. And this method has changed me a great deal. Uh, and it's also improved my relationships. And I'm just really excited to share this with this particular community because this issue matters a lot to me. Uh, and if it, hopefully this uh inspires you to change the way that you have conversations with people and i'm just really stoked to to get going today and answering your questions all right thank you so let's throw the slide up that shows the what s what is se i just want to spend two or three minutes on this but i think it's important to let everyone know what it is we're talking about here uh, we're gushing about it so it's probably a good idea to cover it uh, so we've spent months deciding how to actually define this because it's been this iterative organic developing thing but in order to teach it we kind of have to define it so uh, the current definition that we have and what we plan on presenting in the course is that street epistemology is a way to collaboratively and respectfully explore the reliability of the methods a person uses to assign weight to their reasons for thinking that something is true and we have this little model off to the side here. If you want to think of this little pyramid as a representation of your conversation partner's beliefs, not your beliefs, but theirs, then that's a big shift. We're not interested in what you think about their claim. We're interested in how they're thinking about their claim. We're modestly interested in what they think is true. We're more interested and we're, we want to spend more time on why they think it's true. But it's this lower level of the how that is the goal. You can see that we have some arrows. We're really trying to drive through a guided collaborative effort to understand how this person is thinking about their thinking. How did they determine that they have good reasons for thinking that they should take the vaccine or not take the vaccine? You can use this tool regardless of where you stand on this claim. And then the, right at the bottom, you can see genuine rapport. It's really important that we found to, to be cordial when you engage with people about these beliefs, even if you disagree, maybe you've even argued with them, but there's a, there's a success factor, I suppose, that if you can, if you can 
have a good relationship with the person as you're exploring their beliefs and you're giving them plenty of time to process it, they're going to probably reflect on their views in a way that they haven't before. So again, this isn't about convincing people, but understanding how they became convinced by asking questions to help them reveal to me how they're thinking about their conclusion. Uh, next slide is the why, and I think uh, Reed and we're going to tackle that solo, or was somebody else going to help you with that? Right? I don't know. I think me and Mark can tackle it. Yeah, or, or just anybody if you want to. Yeah, I'll just uh, say a few things from the course. We have you know goals related to what SE can do for yourself, and what goals related to what SE can do with you and an interlocutor or for your interlocutor, the person you're talking to. And there are three main things three main goals related to your interlocutor. You can merely attempt to understand your interlocutor, the person you're talking to, or you can go a little bit deeper and just collaboratively reflect together on what and why uh, we believe in whatever we're talking about. And the next part is the next main goal. What we're probably most interested in is changing minds. SE can be used to change minds, we, we think. and some people would like to change minds about people with the topic of vaccines. So they would like to persuade them to potentially take a vaccine, a COVID vaccine. So as he can do that for you, and but it's a little different from the usual form of persuasion. It's you know we can we'll get into that later. But this is what as he can be used for. Anything else about that, Mark? Yeah, and uh, the way I like to. Th think about it is for people who have, who are coming to SE for the first time is um, we try to not uh, focus so much on the actual beliefs when we have these conversations, which is really counterintuitive. Uh, if, if someone forms their beliefs, generally speaking, in an unreliable way to form beliefs, then even if they come to view that particular belief as false, uh, the manner how they form their beliefs will dictate that more beliefs, false beliefs, will eventually take their place. And so this is more about having a collaborative conversation and about um, how we form beliefs and is that a reliable way to do so. And we're hoping this will make a, a better impact. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. All right, let's can... jump over to, yeah, next slide is the how. Yeah. Um, here we go, Ram. Yes, all right. So Bob and myself will very briefly go through each of those basic steps of a common street epistemology conversation. There is so much more to talk about each of those steps. So we'll just go through the basics uh, briefly and consider that those are not written in stone in any way. Uh, think about them as just general guidelines or tools that you may or may not want to use given the circumstances not more than that even rearrange them but but remembering th them in such an order can also help you especially in the beginning so yeah let's go them through them by one by one pre-conversation considerations is step zero as we call it uh, this relates mostly to the venue and mental state considerations ideally you want everybody to be comfortable it should be one-on-one -on -one conversation if it's possible and uh, uh, yeah you you just want both you yourself and your conversation partner to be open and willing to discuss this specific uh, subject between each other 
and uh, no ideally no distractions no background noise that uh, can make things worse so yeah that's uh, about the pre-conversation considerations and, and Ram, I'll, I'll chime in there another thing that you know you want to ex examine your own motivation first of all before we even get into the conversation you know why are you engaging with this particular person you know that's that's probably a good thing to examine so that you avoid trying to convince and we've been saying we're, we're not in the in the game to convince people and and if that's starting to creep into your head this is why i'm going to engage i want to convince this person that may be a, a a good sign for you to pump the brakes and decide this is not the conversation you want to en enter into. But if you have decided, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to approach this objectively, you know, then the steps we get into step one, which is just establishing rapport. You know, this is a conversation, and as, as Ram said, you know, it has to be comfortable, and you don't just jump in badgering someone with a bunch of questions uh, or drilling down too quickly. You know, part of making them comfortable is just establishing rapport and depending upon the venue, if it's uh, on camera like Anthony and Reed tend to do, then you do want to have informed consent. You know, they, so they're approaching the table in those cases. In other cases, if you're in social media, you may chime into somebody's post. And if they're posting it publicly, then most likely they're, they're sharing it with the world. So it's not something that um, they're, it's not a private belief, but uh, still it's important to make sure that someone is aware that you're going to ask questions that could you know, be a little bit on the probing side and, and inform them of that and make sure that they're they're willing, ready and able to be part of the conversation. Yeah, so th this step is so cannot be overestimated. I think it's importance the rapport, I, I mean, because we're sometimes we're so eager to just jump on our conversation partners and to bombard with them with arguments and statistics and whatever. But it, it just doesn't work if they are not willing, if the, if the environment is not respectful enough, safe enough for them to be open and willing to consider anything, basically. So just respectful engagement and uh, genuinely trying to understand your, your interlocutor is just crucial, absolutely. Without it, nothing else works. So first that, and then we can think about something else regarding statistics, facts, epistemology, or, or anything else. So given that, we establish rapport. Next would be to identify and clarify claim. And that refers to the fact that it's usually suggested to just pick one specific claim or statement or belief, if, if you may. And uh, ideally, it should be clearly stated and crucial for your conversation partner and uh, just stick with that because we, we can jump around uh, through different uh, claims throughout the conversation you, you may think to yourself oh wait what did he just say i, I want to discuss this now well yeah you may but uh, by default we suggest just sticking with one thing discuss it till the end if possible and then move on to the next one bob you know, I'll just mention this This step two is actually, if you, if those who are new to SE, if you are, have that visual of the pyramid in your head, steps two through five are essentially building that pyramid. This is the step two is the what part. And then we're going to move into the, uh, the, the why and the how. Uh, you know, so once you've identified a claim, as Ron said, it's, it's really easy to get sidetracked going down different rabbit trails. But uh, if you can keep the conversation focused on one thing, you'll be more likely to get down to the deeper levels, which is really what we're interested in to begin with. Uh, so in step three, uh, 
this is a an optional thing, but quite often a very useful thing is to identify the level of confidence that someone has in this belief. Once you've identified the, the belief and essentially defined what they mean by that term or that belief, then the question then becomes, you know, how confident are they that that is actually true? And you can scale it out however you want, numbers, uh, words, whatever the case may be. But this is useful to kind of set a marker and perhaps return to later on in the conversation after you've explored the epistemology to say, is it was that number you gave me a, originally a true measure of your confidence or, or ha has it changed at this point in the conversation? Yeah, th this is a very interesting tool. And I would guess that you don't often hear that in a conversation. I mean, questions like, how confident are you, say, for a scale from zero to 100? And this is a very useful tool. I suggest you uh, you just uh, put it on your uh, tool set because uh, sometimes people just think about whether they believe something or don't believe something. But even just thinking what would decrease my confidence, even if I don't disbelieve it all of a sudden, but just to decrease my confidence even a little bit or increase my confidence, that helps uh, set ourselves on the right track of thinking about stuff. So it's a very useful tool. And yeah, nice thing to ask right after we have established the claim. Next, step four would be to identify and clarify main reasons. We know what they believe. We know how confident they are by this point. Now we want to understand the main reasons for why they believe so. And that goes close. That brings us closer to the heart of it, to the epistemology. We want to understand their ways of reasoning, their methods that they use. So we ask for that and uh, don't confuse the reasons that come to their mind first with main reasons. One, one useful tool would be after they uh, tell you one reason, you can ask if it was not for that reason, would that make it much different for you? And if the answer is yes, then probably it is a very significant reason and you can and probably should proceed discussing it. But if not, they, they might say, well, no, of course not. Then probably look for something else. One thing I'll, I'll mention, uh, why the, the how is so important and why I think that SE is different than a lot of other methods. You know, I've, I've changed my beliefs on important issues in the past, and it's never been because someone has thrown a bunch of facts at me or that it's quite often been my own self-reflection. You know, I eventually come to, to realize, oh, the foundation for my belief is actually a little shaky, and it's been the self-reflection. Uh, and so that the how is just so, so important. And, and then knowing, kind of knowing when to stop, you know, to, you know, we're, we're not trying to convince people. We're, we'd much rather people convince themselves that their methods for arriving at a belief are a little, found, uh, the foundation is a little shaky. And so quite often it's important to know kind of when to stop. You, you don't need to, to get a win. What you need to do is plant a seed. And we, we've used, we've used the, that, that metaphor many times in the past, but that's, that's when you can end a conversation. When you've, gotten, when you've drilled down to, that, to, the, to the reasons why someone has arrived at a belief and introduced the idea of the reliability of those reasons, that's maybe a good place to, to end it then. I have to say, as I listen to you guys talk, one of the things that gives me hope with this method is that what we see is that you talk about the reliability of the methods and you talk about the re like kind of really examining the reason. 
And one of the things that we see in our group is that so many of these people have changed their mind and their reasons seem so contradictory. Um, so I'm excited to see how this is going to play out when we actually, you know, using this issue, right? It's that contradiction that you're trying to uncover at the end of the day. Yeah, right. That's a good point. Thank you. And re regarding contradictions, uh, you might just think to not, not again, jump and uh, start arguing against it, but just try to understand it. Try to rephrase it. Like, are you saying that you mean this and that and let them do the thinking with you don't don't do it for them and expect them to just understand that you found contradiction in their own reasoning let them do the thing do the reasoning and that's how that's how people change minds it, yeah. it for ourselves. Part, part of the mindset is also yeah, acknowledging that hey i might be mistaken i could actually learn something from this conversation so that that <laughs> again you know, trying to avoid the convincing you know, part of it is just realizing, hey, I've got a limit to my own certainty on this issue, and I'm always open to gathering new information. Maybe, maybe this conversation will be that uh, that information that might change my level of confidence and where, wherever I stand on the issue. Sure. And sometimes it helps to start off if you can, uh, the, the, your conversational partner, if you can tell their belief back to them in a way maybe even better than they can tell themselves or tell you their belief. If you can explain their belief back to them in a way better and even more concisely than they can they can uh, say the belief, then that's a great way to start off. And and then we all then everyone knows where everyone's coming from and everyone feels heard. And it's a great place to start then using more of the method. Yeah, that's a real good point. Uh yeah so get, getting back to those steps uh we're, we're almost done with them right so we've been through main reasons and this step five identified explore epistemology can probably be seen as as the goal ideally if we have rapport if we have uh, if we're on the same track with our conversation partner this would be the step where we try to to basically apply the scientific method the the our best ways of reasoning to test and uh, we can just ask at this point questions like how do you think we should test that or what new possible evidence should would and should increase or decrease your confidence are there alternative hypotheses for that same uh, evidence and things like that so our purpose here is to collaboratively engage in critical thinking process with our conversation partners and just again try to hold back not bombard them with arguments but do do it together do do it collaboratively and see what happens and if you have used the confidence scale earlier in the conversation, this, this is the place where you want to apply it again and say, you know, is, is that is the number you gave me earlier? Now that we've investigated your epistemology, is the number you gave me an accurate measure of where you really stand? Then maybe a good place to, to kind of cut things off. But also, you know, keep in mind, you don't have to go through all these steps. You don't have to have a little clipboard and check, okay, I hit step one, step, you know, a, a SE conversation does not need to include all the steps. It doesn't have to have follow them in a particular order. This is not a prescriptive thing, it's just a general guide as to how to most effectively have an SE conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So don't, don't think about the, those steps as something you should 
definitely do every time in every conversation. Uh, no, some, sometimes you just ask one good question that you haven't asked before, and that will bring you the progress you were waiting for. And sometimes if both you and your conversation partner are willing and ready to go deeper, well, consider going through more of those steps. And it's also important to understand when to end the conversation. And I'll just give one suggestion. Uh, it, it's a good way to consider ending a conversation if and when they genuinely think about something uh, regarding their reasoning process. Ideally, after you asked uh, a good epistemological question, they might just say, well, I have to think about it, or I don't know, or something like that. That, that would be a good cue for you to just consider ending the conversation at this point and let them do the thinking for themselves in their spare time afterwards. How often do you guys um, refer to that Jonathan Swift quote, right? Um, you cannot, right? You cannot reason someone out of a situation they didn't reason themselves into. I'm sure I said it incorrectly, but you know, as I hear you, so much of this method is that's what it's about, right? It's helping them understand because you can't you you can't tell them they have to come to this place on their own so using these methods helps them elucidate that right robert you want to yeah it's, uh, yes it's uh, at some point uh, during this conversation it, uh, uh, especially uh, you when you're at the epistemology level you may experience a, a point of the conversation uh, when your interlocutor will pause to think about what has been asked you you've touched upon something on a perspective of how they've come to know it's true where they haven't really stopped to consider it and so in those times it's very important to let them think about it let them consider it uh embrace that pause for them to reflect because it is in that moment of self-reflection that they begin to open their mind to changing their mind on what they think very cool Nathan, do you have any closing thoughts before we could we cover the what, why, how really well? And I'm so eager to get to examples. And people are probably wondering, like, how can I see examples? Do a search on YouTube for street epistemology and your favorite topic, and you'll probably find that claim being explored using this technique. Uh, but Nathan, you want to close us out before we get to some examples from the Reddit? Sure. Yeah. Basically, the way I like to think about it is I'm practicing theory of mind here. And if the roles were reversed, and I had something I wanted to say, how would, and the other person who's asking me questions uh, doesn't believe in what I'm believing, how would I want them to ask me questions so they can learn from me, right? Totally. And through them asking me questions, maybe we can bridge a gap of understanding between the two of us, uh, whether that be me moving more doubting that idea to be where they are and their confidence level on that same scale zero to 100 or the other way around and so it's about meeting in the middle kind of resolving conflicts so i can figure out how they got to their conclusion they're at the summit of some mountain that they call their belief and i want to figure out how i can get there too if it's true if it's not true and i can't figure out how to how to get there they may see that they're at the summit of this mountain and they have no idea how they got there either. And that is a very revealing experience to them. And so I'm trying to uh, model the behavior I want to, to see in, in return. 
uh, and I'm trying to put out my best foot forward and be uh, a, a good example of how to be a good listener and be open-minded to ideas that are different than mine. And that's how I'm seeing this entire this entire process is like that to me. That's terrific, Nathan. I think that's a really good point because we would want, I, I was speaking for myself, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like if somebody were to engage with me on one of the, my claims, I would want them to use this. And this isn't some secret tactic that you can use with the people who are vaccine hesitant and use it on the slide. You can teach them this as well to use it on your claims. And ultimately they'll probably use it on their own claims. We want as many people as possible to discover these tools so that we could all use it with each other. So it doesn't really matter where you stand in these claims. This is like an equal opportunity tool to help us bridge that gap of understanding like Nathan mentioned really eloquently. Like, I found this method because I was a political science graduate and I was trying to debate my friends all the time or debate my family, like whether that be for Thanksgiving. And we wanted to get this out there before Thanksgiving so that uh, many of you watching can practice uh, and maybe think about ways to have conversations around the Thanksgiving dinner table if it happens to come up. Um, and uh, and I found that it really just doesn't work if you're talking if you're talking to a flat earther, let's say, and uh, they have their own set of facts about how they came to their conclusion. Do you think that giving them facts about how we know the Earth is round is going to convince them? And, and so I want to know how they know it's flat. And then I also want to know like how, what it would take for them to think it's round. It, is it even possible for them to, to wonder about what it would take for them to change their own mind and exploring that wonder in their, in their mind may help both of us understand each other better. And that's what I see this being for all subjects, basically. Beautiful. Yep. Looks like we've got Andy Norman in the chat. Hey, Andy. Says, hey, Andy guys. Norman. Oh. Hey, Andy. Yeah. He's yeah, in one of my videos. Yeah. Uh, Andy is an author who wrote the book Cognitive yeah. Immuni Immunity. Is that what it was? Yeah. That's right. Immunology, I believe. Cognitive yeah. Immunity. I can't, I can't say the title. Sorry, <laughs> Andy. Great book. He's in the same space as us of, of, uh, of technique rebuttal. That's what this is, where we're not focusing on the claim or not even necessarily your reasons, but the technique that you use to verify that you have good reasons for thinking that your claim is true. And it's a completely different model. But uh, yeah. Sleepy, uh, you're probably yeah. going to start throwing some stuff at us here. I know, I know. So if you want to go ahead to, oh, there you go. Mental immunity, sorry. Oh, look at that. Oh, what a great plug. There you go, Andy. Check out the book. So what we have prepared for you today, if you want to go to our slideshow, we can show you. Um, we've tried to break this down. So you've just gotten a bunch of theory from these guys on how this works, but let's put this in practice. Um, and I do want to highlight one of the things that they said is that, you know, this is something that takes time. It's not, you know, a quick fix, but what we see in our group, because, you know, as, as we watch, we see so many of the people we see that have gone down this path, they have been consuming these, you know, these thoughts and they've been told so many things for so long and, it's going to take some time to break that down. Right. Um, you know, and so I just kind of want to highlight that out there of, of what you're working with. Um, so what we've done today is we're going to take the, um, they have prepared this tip sheet and in the tip sheet, there are six different kind of types of vaccine objections. So they've really broken this down for you. And in that tip sheet, um, they've categorized them. 
And what was very interesting as part of my group where we look at um, and we see examples of people who are vaccine hesitant is, um, and you can see there, um, the different on that matrix, you can see the different types. So they have things like apathy, health and safety, uh, paranoia and phobia. The way that they got these, you know, objections is they actually kind of, they crowdsourced them, right? Anthony, you asked, I think on Twitter, what were the reasons that people were saying? Yep. And what was interesting was I went through, you know, our archive and of all the objections that they have done, every single one of them, I was able to find an example for it. These are all what people are saying. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to go through first, before we answer questions, is kind of show you what this looks like. So the first slide you see is health and safety. These are some common objections that we see. And you can tell these are all none of, you know, these are from public posts that people have made or memes they've shared, um, basically of reasons that they don't want to get vaccinated, all in this healthy and health and safety category. Okay. So to show you what this actually looks like in practice, so that gives you kind of an assessment. If you look on the next slide, we're just gonna take one, this one here. And this one's actually really kind of dear to my heart because we actually see in our group a lot of young people dying right now. I mean, you know, the latest estimate is 90,000 people have died that could have been saved had they been vaccinated, right? So we're all very close to this in our group specifically. And this is one we see a lot. People say, I'm young, I'm healthy, you know, I don't have any underlying health conditions, right? So I don't need the vaccine. You see that. So what I'm going to say is, you know, I'm just going to volunteer myself here. Um, my background is actually, my background is in science from 20 years ago, but very long. And I can tell you right now that when I see that, if someone says that to me, you know, I know exactly what, I mean, I would start approaching it emotional. And immediately my first thought is to start throwing statistics people, right? And as you're watching this in your own head, you probably know what you would say too. Well, why would you take the chance? You know, there's still so many people. Haven't you seen how many people have died, right? Um, and that's what you want to do. You want to start lecturing and saying, well, how can you think that? How can you say that? How can you not, right? All of those things. So instead of saying all of those terrible things that I want to say <laughs> and throw statistics, um, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask Anthony, if you even want to start, what would be the first thing you would say to that instead of what I would say? Yeah, let me just say, even before we get to like the SE type of responses, you might get lucky and give a fact or give your reasoning why you think that they should take it. And you might hit that chance that maybe that was the exact thing that they needed to hear because we respond to facts too occasionally. Often than not, you're, you're, it's a stab in the dark, really. What you need to do is engage with the person to figure out what words they're using, maybe their level of confidence on that, because maybe they're like, oh, I'm like at a 20 out of 100. It's not really that big of a deal. But they may, like, they may be fierce on that position, too. So you really have to feel them out and meet them where they're at and then ask them questions to figure out what they would find convincing. That's the thing that we always forget to do. They're the one that holds the belief. Remember that belief tower? That is their belief structure. So we want to work through their reasoning. But I'd like to kind of open it up to the to us to kind of just bandy this one about and see how we would respond to it. Well, I can start, I guess. Yeah. So if a person says I'm healthy, I'm young, uh, and that's why I don't want to take the COVID vaccine, it's all political, I, I will start to be curious like, okay, um, if, he, if a person is young and healthy, does it mean they shouldn't take the vaccine? Well, why is that? And I, I'm wondering, is it for them only, is it related only to the COVID vaccine or maybe all the vaccines or maybe 
or the medicine in general. So first I want to understand where they're coming from. If it's, for example, if it's only about the COVID vaccine, then I would like to understand what's the difference between this and other vaccines or medicine. If, if there is any, like, if, if it's purely political, then, uh, then again, I want to understand what do they know? Maybe they know something I don't know. Maybe I'll learn that I don't want this vaccine. Who knows? That's but a good point. first yeah. we need to narrow the claim and understand its limits. Yeah, so maybe a good question would be something like, are, do you do you hold yourself to the standard just for this vaccine or is it for all vaccines or all medicines? Maybe try to find out where they're breaking that down and then you can maybe decide where to go next. I, I would sort of jump in there as, as well as um, one of the things uh, initially in the conversation, you want to have an accurate understanding of, of uh, what the interlocutor is saying. And here uh, you want to be able to actively hear what they're saying and paraphrase it back to them. And so what I what I hear uh, being claimed in this in the statement is uh, past health predicts future health. That is, past health is somehow protective in terms of future health. And so um, it is it is uh, hopefully an accurate, active listening uh, and uh, understanding of what it is that they're claiming. So if if that is in fact uh, their claim, you can begin to explore the reasons for why somebody would think that past health is a predictor of future health. And you don't have to like box them in either. You could say, this is what it sounds like you're saying. Is this correct? Yes. Right. Because yeah. you're, you're repeating back what you're understanding them to say. And that is such a great way to engage with the person because it shows that you care to understand them. And if they're, you're misunderstanding each other, you can correct that right away. Yeah. And, and you place the responsibility on yourself and saying, what I'm hearing you say is this, is that the case? Uh, you, you're, you're not trying to be confrontational or accusatory saying you're saying this, you're, or you're telling them what they think, you know, you're just saying, oh, this is what I hear you saying. Is that true? How often, I'm just going to jump in. I'm just curious. How often do people just kind of look at you like, wow, you're, you're listening. I mean, I feel like everything <laughs> has gotten so ratcheted up and the volume is so high right now. And, and I think the people that are still continuing, I mean, you know, they're not holding on necessarily to facts anymore. I, I really believe if, if that was your going to change your mind, it probably would have by now. We have people who have watched many, many family members. The most I've seen is someone posts about 12 people dying and they're still refusing to take the vaccine. And so, you know, the facts are gone. So, and so it's like, because they're not being heard, it's like they ratchet up the volume and the insistency. Yeah. So that, so again, so how often when you, they just kind of look at you like, wait, you're asking me a question. <laughs> you're, you're bringing up something interesting because we don't normally engage with people about their deeply held beliefs in this way. So they're right. going to notice that something's different. So you could probably expect to see a reaction if you haven't already explained, like, do you mind if I ask you some questions about the vaccine or if it comes up organically, ideally, then you could give them a heads up that you'd like to ask them some questions. So they're, they're prepared for a different style of engagement. Cause if you don't do that, that's when people start getting like suspicious or guarded and like, why are you asking me all these weird questions all of a sudden? We don't normally talk this way. So you probably do want to uh, address that at the start so you don't get those reactions. And if you do this kind of conversation correctly, especially with a stranger, often the stranger has absolutely no idea where you stand on the belief of vaccines because what you believe about it really is irrelevant to the conversation. It's yeah. what they think, and let's go through the process of how you arrive to where you are now. 
We often refer to this as being you know, like to shoot your messenger. You know, to, you know, again, trying to avoid this this tendency to want to try to convince somebody right out of the right out of the shoot. Yeah, yeah. But to answer Sleepy Weasel's question, uh, I think we we do sometimes get responses like, uh, "Wow, you're good at this." Or uh, I even yeah. got once or twice like, "You should get paid for this." <laughs> Especially if it's from the people we don't know very well and we're just getting acquainted and they, they see it, they value it. It might be a bit trickier with people who you already know because yeah. they might expect something different from you as, as what Anthony mentioned. Yeah, if you battle with them in the past, they're going to notice something's up. It's, it's, a, it's almost like a, a high compliment to somebody who's doing SE where you hear, I don't even know where you stand on this and you've really caused me to think about this in a way that I haven't thought of before. Where do you stand on it? And then you can you can share your view. And then at this point, it's probably not going to be an argument or a debate because you've modeled a really good way of engaging with them. And they're going to probably do something similar in return. Very cool. I love no one has said the answer that's on the spreadsheet for that question, um, which I absolutely love is another oh, sure. example. Who wrote that one, which says, you know, as a good question back. So you so you state it. So again, so I would say, OK, so that's what I hear from you. And then I love that mm. ideal response, which is, can you think of other concerns besides your personal health that you might want to consider? That's such a good one because that. it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, well, you know, I do share the society with other people and maybe, maybe I do need to think beyond myself. Uh, it kind of addresses the, um, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the, the ego, the inner ego that is maybe behind not wanting to get vaccinated because you think that you're okay. Like, there are other people in this world, but you can raise that issue with a gentle question like that. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, as opposed to messaging, I, I like Robert's point of you know, um, you know, rather than jumping on the saying, "Yeah, you may be thirty-four year old, 30, 34 years old and healthy, but there's plenty of other thirty-four year olds in hospital beds," or you know, "Why do you hate your grandmother and want to endanger <laughs> endanger her?" Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, another such a better approach. I was just thinking a good, like, we're going to come up with questions that probably aren't on that sheet because there's thousands of questions you could ask that would probably fit the SE category. It's not like right. there's rigid window. As long as you're inquiring about what it is you're observing and you're giving them time to process it, it's probably an SE type of question. Yeah. Yeah. I think Anthony puts his finger on, on one of the key things with respect to this, with this respect to this chart, which is that. Um, it's not a uh, here's here's their statement. Here's the optimal answer. It's there's no there's no one answer to these to these uh, statements and positions. These ideal or better responses uh, are examples given certain principles that are used within SE. And so there are lots of other best or better responses that were that would be equivalent um, also and consistent with SE. It's useful for someone who's actually seeing this for the first time to you know kind of play you know. Try to answer it yourself and see where you fall. And you know, do you mm -hmm. tend toward the pay, the poor or the fair? And most of us are at least if you're just if you're brand new to this, you're gonna you're gonna fall fall into the poor and fair category far more often than you are into the into the SE category. But that that's fine. That's you know, it takes takes time to develop this uh, kind of mentality. Yeah. Well, we'll have a link to the spreadsheet uh, somewhere. We'll put a link. It's right in the video description if it's yeah. not already. I just and that, that chat as well. Oh yeah, Reed's driving this uh, fantastically, and that answer says better response, not best. There's probably not a best response, but you can probably get. It's better. <laughs> it's probably better than what you've been doing, but it's probably not perfect. So just keep mm -hmm. that in mind. Yeah. 
Yeah, keep your questions open-ended, um, meaning uh, great questions that start with what, like, uh, what do you mean by that? Or, uh, or how, like, how can we, uh, those kinds of questions typically yield an explanation rather than a yes or no response. And if people feel like they're being led to a yes or no, they can maybe raise their guard a little bit. And what we want to do is to lower our guard so we can wonder and think outside the box that we're normally confining our thinking into. Um, and so that's why that's one of the better questions to ask. Just consider this general rule. Whatever argument you can think of, your best argument, maybe against this claim they made, can be phrased in as a nice question. Any argument you can think of. And to, to Nathan's point, don't point, don't make it a close-ended question. Don't don't say, don't you think or don't you see? It's not a question. It's just it's a yeah. leaded question, or it's it's just. Or a, wouldn't wouldn't that mean that? Yes, yes. Don't don't argument. Argument. No Is it possible question. that? Yes. Is it yes, possible yes. that dot dot dot? You're right. wrong. Exactly. <laughs> you don't, don't want to trap. That. Don't trap or trick people. Like you really do want to hear their best representation of their argument. You want to steal and and help them develop their strongest argument that's what steel manning is and that's what we try to do yeah and in the in the in the better responses quite often you'll see we you know and that's really important you know look at it as a collaborative effort trying to get to the the, the answer or the the best the best yeah. uh closest approach to truth that we can get to you might be mentioning that down the road but yeah the the you uh asking questions like what do you think like or it'd be better to ask like how can we look into this like as a team effort, absolutely. Like that subtle little difference in the grammar really um, makes us feel like we're not so different. Yeah. Um, and, and that we're working as a team to figure out what's true about about their belief. This is a I wanted to add something about that. Yeah, it is a collaboration, but make sure that your conversation partner doesn't think that they need to give you reasons that you'll find convincing. That's often what tends to happen when you use collab, they, they think, oh, I need to convince this person who's asking me all these questions. Like say, listen, I don't want you to convince me. I want to understand how you became convinced. And that again, shifts the dynamic that it's not about them needing to defend their view, but simply explain how they got there. Very cool. Yeah. Let's pick um, another category to go through. Read. there's, you can pick another one of those. Okay. Motivation and apathy, right? This is the second one, I think, on that list. So you can see, um, and again, these are all comments that were taken that someone made. Actually, well, two of those are memes that I have seen many, many times um, online. So just haven't gotten around to it. Um, it's too hard to fit in my schedule. I'm willing to take my chances. And then the last one, if it's my time to die, then it's my time to die, um, which is crazy, but I see that a lot. So if you go ahead, the one that we're gonna look at and discuss, Go to the next slide is this one just because you know someone's afraid of COVID doesn't mean she he or she doesn't believe in it you know we just she understands the risk but doesn't prioritize fear of her life and to me this is like i'm willing to take my chances right that's just kind of meh so how do you approach somebody who has that kind of just an apathetic response um to me you know my first response again is going to be statistics because that's my brain and so i want to say how can you say that how can you not care right a one percent chance is still <laughs> a percent right and i want to start arguing back so when you have somebody like that guys what would be the better approach i think 
the almost the same question as for the previous case would would work just fine can you consider other reasons to to do that than just than just thinking about your own life and yeah consider not phrasing it well don't you think about other people but an open-ended question can you think of other reasons people might want to take this vaccine besides uh, fearing for their own life and even if they if, if they say they can't you can ask the next question well if there were other reasons would you like to know them hmm. all kinds of tools we have uh, I, I just uh, jump jump in here quickly. Sometimes an interlocutor uh, interlocutor can make an explicit claim and an implicit claim. Explicitly, they can say, "I'll take my chances." Implicitly, the unsaid claim made is, "And those chances are pretty good for me." In other words, there this is the this is the unsaid claim that we need to sort of uh, uncover uh, in terms of. Uh, what, what people are saying. So sometimes people um, express their claims in a very indirect way, and you have to s kind of uh, identify the actual claim that is being made when they make those statements. Yeah, I think Robert's on to that. I was thinking, this is all, it almost sounds like a very flip response. Yeah, and I, I would almost be tempted to think, well, maybe this person, the, the reason why they're vaccine hesitant is maybe not what they're actually stating here. And so the clarification that Robert just made is, is probably a good one to make at this point. Yeah, I'd be curious how they're calculating their chances. So you could repeat it back. Like, so what I think I hear you saying is that you've 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 run some sort of calculation through your mind. I don't know how rigid it was, but you've come to the conclusion that there there's the chances of you being affected by this are really low. And they may say, well, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Good. And then you can maybe shift to, well, how are you how are you determining that your chances um, are low, or at what point would it be? cause for concern to get the vaccine? What is your threshold? So again, you're you're working within their belief model to understand at what point would they switch over? And that is usually when they may say, well, that's not really my real reason. I have this, I watched this YouTube video and it really scared the shit out of me or something like that, right? It could be something. Right. And, and, and you're right. not throwing out any statistics at that point. No, yeah, you're not throwing out any right. data because mm -hmm. data may not even be a factor in their position on this claim. Right. You have to figure that out. And sometimes in these uh, scenarios, it's helpful to not talk about the person themselves. You can use like a made up person, like we're going to make up Jimmy sitting next to you. And we're going to talk about, you know, let's say he's trying to decide whether he wants to take the vaccine or not. How can we help him decide uh, uh, based on this scenario or that scenario? And it takes the person out of it. And we're just talking about this third person. Yeah. Let's say you found somebody that you would say it was that they should definitely be taking it. Like, but they thought their chances weren't like <laughs> a risk to them. What would you suggest that we say or ask that person to help them take another look at their view? And now you've taken the pressure off of yourself and them. And it's about this third party who's not even in the room. You're, you're thinking about your thinking. That's the guided meta. That's the metacognition part of SE. You're thinking about how you think about things. Very cool. You want to pick another one, Reed, to go through? Um, risk assessment threshold and threat threshold. So kind of similar to the apathy one, I feel like. And of course, these guys, you know, these 
categories aren't hardline, right? Um, there's a lot of overlap between them. Um, but basically somebody said, you know, the vaccine's not effective enough or it's ineffective or, you know, there's so many, there's other options that are better. And then of course the one we see all the time, well, it has a 99% survival rate, um, 99.99 we see as well. So the one that we'll do a deep dive in, if you go to the next slide. So it's not effective enough. This is, you know, from someone's uh, post, these, you know, they don't stop spread. They make it worse. There's no evidence of stopping death. It's just, you know, they're just not effective. Eh, why would I do it? So, um, you know, my response, of course, would be, well, gosh, any benefits better than none. <laughs> That's what I would want to say back, right? Um, and so tell me, guys, what should I, what's the better way to approach this? This could be a good situation where you could have the person you're talking to and yourself come up with a test of, of a test of the the vaccine and come up with a test if if the test was run sufficiently to their expectation of how tests should be run then you know if a test came out one way they'd feel more confident about their belief and then if a test came out another way they'd feel less confident about their belief and have them involved in creating that test I agree. We can just ask for, for Sarah's, what do you think would be the best way for us to know whether it's good enough or not? And find out the reasons first and then explore them further. Yeah, so many of the people we see don't know where these numbers or where anything is coming from. It's just something that they've seen and they're passing on. And I love this thought of saying, I'm going to listen to you. I am going to, I'll take you seriously today instead of just discounting you, right? I'm going to listen. Let's look at this together. How could we figure this out? I love that. <laughs> and this is the, this particular job is really, this is a tough one for me to, to, to shoot my own messenger on this one because I, I, I had the vaccine and I got COVID breakthrough case in August and had a minimal case you know it was effective for me <laughs> so that's a real there's a real temptation to want to share my story uh you know and, and there was other folks that i know got COVID at the same time were unvaccinated from your know, friends who, who were dead by mid-september and wow. so I, you know, I feel like that's a compelling story but not really you know again it's not about me trying to convince the the interlocutor but that, that it's it's a tough temptation it's tough to to not go in that direction Mm -hmm. well, one thing I would just add just very quickly, which has to do with a thread of rapport, you uh, you want to ensure that you have a common ground between yourself and, and your inter interlocutor. And you can see in the premise in, in the premise of this of this position that they are interested in solutions. And so if both sides are interested in pursuing effective solutions, this is this is a, a common ground from which you can proceed. So um, focusing on that, referring to that, mentioning that can help uh, uh, build and maintain the rapport of the, of the conversation. Yeah, they're saying the vaccine is not effective enough. So there must be some threshold by which they would say that it was effective. You need to kind of find that tipping point for them. Mm -hmm. What would they need to see in order to be convinced that it was effective? Right. And they may give a stat that you can back up at that point. And that would be the point to double check to make sure that they would find it convincing and then work with them to show them that information. Like remind them, like from what we talked about, you would need to see this. Does this, does this match your requirement? Now they may still say, well, 
there's something wrong with it or I don't trust the source and you have to keep drilling down and going where they take you. Don't get frustrated if that happens. Many times the reasons that people give you aren't the, the reason that is contributing to their level of confidence in their position. You need to kind of rinse and repeat. Yeah, uh, there's a yeah. short there's a shortcut you could do too to get through that. And also, if you have to give it, if if you, the opportunity comes up to give a stat, don't just give the stat. Tell the story of how that stat came into came to be, like who tested it, with how many people, and what were the results from that test, and just make that very clear, so that that would be more trustworthy than the mere number. Yeah, don't just immediately give people stuff. Make sure that what you think you can provide to them that they will find convincing and get some buy-in first. Like, yeah, if, you know, if I saw that and if it was from like a trusted source and you could define what those are, then I probably would find it convincing or compelling. Cool. Let's go together to this website and look it up. You could do that. Yeah. Well, so those yeah. are some, oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say, uh, I'd like to suggest another general rule. Whenever you want, desperately want to share an argument, you can't do that, but first, just get a buy-in from them first. Ask them if they are interested in such kind of an argument. If such an argument, if it if it existed, would sway their, them anyhow. Then if they say, yeah, sure, if there was such a statistic, I would be interested in it. Yeah. Then share it, but gently still. Yeah. That's yeah. How, how much of their confidence would shift if they learned that new information? Yeah, exactly. That's why we asked the confidence question, because we want to bounce up reasons that surface that they might entertain and see if they would allow it to impact their confidence one way or the other, either up or down. It's not always down, by the way. Like we want to see if this reason would move you in any way. And that's a that's like a real reason check we call. We want to make sure that that we're providing reasons that will serve to impact your confidence one way or the other. Like we we would want to have beliefs that are backed up by reasons and evidence that serve to influence our confidence right and uh and checking to make sure is really important mm -hmm. you alleviate a lot of frustration if you do that on both sides too yeah very cool well should we take some questions guys i mean so that we kind of move on to the next section sure yeah so, so we're ready one we have I want to hear the, the, the nitty-gritty of the real the real questions out mm -hmm. there on reddit that'll be fun yeah yeah so the first one is one that I think, because again, this is slightly different in how we're approaching this, actually slide 21, um, right here. You know, you know, you guys think of this a little bit in the framework, right, of not being as connected. But today, this is about something that you're connected with, right? This is about someone you care about. And so how do you, you know, if this if you can think about doing this in your own lives when you have, because I know you've done this in your own lives too with issues you care about, how do you stay neutral with somebody when you are so emotionally wrapped up in this and you do want to just, are there different techniques or ways that, you know, people can use? Well, I, I can think of something, but my, I, I would just say, you know, use, use your own discretion. Uh, though the way I think about it is I'm thinking about how I would want to best represent my my uh ability to know their side um so so that if the roles were reversed how i would want to be treated and um if you're if you're wrapped up emotionally i would just recommend uh channeling that emotion into this understanding that 
uh, it's probably going to be more effective to <laughs> calm down and slow down and breathe a little bit and, and think about the way they're thinking rather than think about the way uh, we are thinking, right? Um, and what's going to be most effective? And if it's too much emotionality, too high, sometimes it helps to uh, talk about an analogous belief. Uh, talk about uh, if you were to decide to decide whether the world was flat or round, how would you go about deciding that? And you're talking about some completely different belief, but you're actually still talking about how they form beliefs and how they how they would go about knowing the things they know. And with something that's the there's no skin in the game. Regulating okay. your emotions also might help. I, I totally can feel you how it might be difficult, and it is extremely difficult to, to and painful sometimes to just watch our the people who who are close to us refusing to take a vaccine, for example. But even given that, if we just get emotional, if we try to uh, defend our position or make them do what we want. It, chances are it wouldn't work. So first things first, probably try to just regulate your emotions, uh, establish rapport, establish trustworthy environment, then uh, consider discussing it with them. And if, if, we, if we look at the, the our steps, you know, step zero, you know, is this something you want to get into? You know, what's your motivation? And clearly this is a loved one. And if you're that emotionally, you know, if you're scared for them, then there, it's certainly something you want to pursue. The, the key is how to pursue it in such a way, you know, certainly you're sincere and they're going to feel your sincerity, but how do you approach it without throwing out facts at them and putting them on the defensive? Uh, because if, if they go on the defensive, then you're, you're not going to make any progress as far as changing their, their beliefs. That's where it's, you have to avoid throwing facts and, and start drilling down on why, why are they convinced that their position is correct? And you start, start the process of building the pyramid at that point. Yeah. I was going to say, um, if, if you're scared for them or you're emotionally entangled in the situation, then you're bringing that baggage with you to that conversation. That's going to put you off on the wrong foot. So you need to find out a way to deal with it. And maybe one of the ways that you can deal with it is to just be brutally honest and say, I'm, I want to be as neutral as possible on this, but I'm really scared that you're not taking this, this vaccine. I, this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling scared, but I want to talk with you about this. And I want to try to set those emotions aside so that we can really explore why you, why you don't think that this is true. So you've acknowledged these things that are possible impediments to the conversation. Hopefully your conversation partner will, will respect you for disclosing it. And they may even reveal something similar. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a little, hesitant about having this conversation with you too, because I could tell how passionate you are about it. So now you've just completely neutralized that big thing that was holding you back and then you can have a really good talk. Yeah. Uh, that said, it is uh, one of the sort of success factors of SE to try to maintain a kind of a stoic, uh, dispassionate, uh, neutral perspective with respect to the claim. Uh, even though it's true, you do have you do have skin in the game. You do have uh, you are emotionally um, at attached uh, to the situation. You it is you you need to try and be as um, as neutral as possible. Um, sometimes that's very difficult to do. It takes practice. Like when speaking for myself, when I started going out and having talks with people, I was so 
agitated and animated. And it took me years really to like get a hold of my emotions. So there may be some topics that you just struggle with, but recognizing that those are those topics that you struggle with, it might be best to leave that conversation to somebody else who can maintain their composure. Uh, this is where you start doing some introspection about your own abilities and what you can maintain and control. It's part about knowing yourself too. And yeah. knowing so, some things uh, a person says that triggers you automatically, you know what <laughs> what can be said that you just, just or push your hot buttons. So at least knowing in advance what those are will help to uh, manage things, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, a tough thing to kind of you know, walk is that you, you want to be you want to be motivated to have the conversation to begin with. So it's got to be something that kind of pushes the button to a certain extent. And as Anthony recommends it, but then acknowledging, you know, we're, we're not, we're not without bias on almost any topic. We're going to have it acknowledging, acknowledging your prejudices and your biases and your preconceived notions at the outset uh, and trying your best to set that aside for the purpose of the conversation is, is probably the best way to go. If you don't care about it, then you're probably not going to have a conversation about it to begin with. Whenever I think about this yeah. question, like, what if I'm too emotionally wrapped up? My inspiration is Daryl Davis. And if you've never heard of Daryl Davis before, it might be worth a Google. Um, a black man who talks to KKK members. Like, blows my mind. And the amount of good works he's done in talking to those people uh, is truly inspiring to me. Uh, and if he can do that, how is how can we how can we learn from that experience? How can we apply that to this? And that that whole story really inspires me to make a difference in in having these better kinds of conversations. While he's not exactly doing SE, he's doing something that's very very similar. He's taking uh, his ego out of it, isn't he? Like that's a big part of SE. Like take yourself out of it, make it about them. And he's looking at the bigger picture. The bigger picture here, which yeah. is like, what what is going to help us? What's going to make a better world? What kind of world do I want to live in? Do I want to live in the kind of world where I'm like just shouting right back at them? Is that going to work? Is that going to be effective? And so I use Daryl Davis as a as an inspiration for that question. And I would recommend watching Reed because I think he does a great job uh, <laughs> keeping his emotions in check. When you when Reed does check out some of his SE talks and it's almost, it's almost disarming. He keeps his emotions in check so much because the person who's talking to them, they're free to say whatever they want and they're not, cause they don't get any emotional feet, that kind of uh, negative feedback coming back. And so uh, that's a good example if you want to see that happen. Yeah, just may, may, uh, go ahead. Take that. Take that read. You deserve it. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, and it might just be personality types as well. It depends on who you are. You might need to do some things to actually get to that point where you're right. kind of an emotional poker face. And yeah, yeah. Uh, one other thing is, rather than having you know jumping into the deep end of discussing should everyone take a COVID vaccine, maybe one like another you know shallow end of the pool topic would be should should kids take Flintstone vitamins. You could do SE on that more right. safe topic, maybe not, you know, and just uh, practice it that way. Give people a heads up. I'm trying this new thing. And rather than jumping into the deep end, practicing it on some <laughs> safe thing like that. Okay. Very good. And also just remember that it takes time. It, it, oftentimes it takes 
sometimes even a lot a lot of time to just uh, build this relationship between you and your close ones for them to be to trust you enough so if i may i i, I will click quickly share my personal story uh there was a time when uh, my, me and my mother didn't have a very trustworthy relationship and she wouldn't listen to me if i told her anything regarding uh, what, what i found important but uh, i started uh, um, trying to slowly build more trust and uh, I, I was surprised when i noticed significant changes and uh, by the time the pandemic hit we already had this much more trustworthy relationship and she called me and she was very hesitant uh, towards taking a vaccine and she shared her concerns with me asked for my opinion so we slowly went through through all her concerns uh, regarding this vaccine and that helped a lot but it just sometimes takes time if, if it was like five years ago i don't think she would have called me but mm -hmm. last year she did so consider that as well cool what other questions we got next oh. one hmm. so sleepy uh, did you want to read that sleeping? one or maybe sleepy is muted there you go sorry about that yeah. guys <laughs> <laughs> um so this one is an exercise basically so um i'll read it i had my free my first street epistemology conversation with my husband about vaccinating our children and it was difficult but i found out much more about his point of view than i would have normally our conversations on the topic might go point counterpoint point, counterpoint, with neither of us budging. The conversation allowed us both to explore how we arrived at our beliefs, and we were able to come up with questions for our pediatrician related to our differing beliefs. His claim is that not enough time has passed in the studies of children five to 12, and not enough children had participated. His certainty in his belief was 60, you know, 60 versus 40. Um, his rationales, based on previous history with the adult vaccines, specifically J&J &J with regards to blood clots, he fears that we will learn about a severe side effect later after many children are vaccinated. He believes the risks of COVID to children are low and that if our children get COVID, they'll be fine. He believes the risks of the vaccine for kids outweighs the benefits. And if I were not in the picture, he would not consider vaccinating them at all. It seems that after our visit to the pediatrician, his beliefs are unchanged and the goalposts have now moved instead of wanting to know that 100,000 kids have been vaccinated in the first two months. Now it's 5 million kids in three months. Um, so these are the questions and answers we got from our doctor. Are your own children vaccinated? The doctor said, yes, every pediatrician had vaccinated their kids. Are you seeing severe COVID cases in kids five to 12? Yes, one 10 year old just had spent three weeks in the ICU. Are you seeing vaccine side effects in kids five to 12? No, we vaccinated a thousand kids in a week without a single adverse reaction. Is the Delta variant more contagious in kids? Yes. Is Delta more severe in kids? Yes, I don't think enough time has passed and that it's been studied enough. How long should I wait before I know? There really isn't any time I can give you to answer that question. For me, I have access to the studies from Europe that were conducted earlier than the American trials and that allowed me to make the risk benefit assessment for my own children. While the risk of COVID to children is low, we just don't know who will get a severe case. And that's why it's important to have protection from the vaccine, which will prevent hospitalization and death. After this discussion with the doctor, there wasn't any movement in his beliefs, and he discounted some of the things she said. Now I'm afraid he'll never be comfortable enough. So my question is, you know, how might I go about having follow-up conversations? My goal is to get him comfortable with vaccinating sooner than two months away. I'm worried about the holidays. 
and at least two young children in our region have died recently from COVID. At least one case of Miss C in our district, and we've had a lot of cases at school and in kids we know. All right, guys, so what do you do with this one? Well, the reason why I love this question so much is because it's so real world and it's so, and it's not clear cut because you have two people who really want to do the right thing and they're coming at it from slightly different epistemologies and they're weighing, weighing risks and benefits and they're trying, they are both agreeing to try the method of street epistemology to try to get at hopefully what's true and, and real if that's possible. And I think that this is, I like that this represents uh, conversations we often see in the in the real world. I like that you know in the first paragraph she says that she learned more about this position than she would have had she not you know that that you know but it is you know there there are considerations here because this is a husband and wife um, and the fact it doesn't it's not something that's going to be solved in one conversation it, it could be very well be an iterative thing and and you know she worries that he's apparently you know moved the goalposts a little bit and and, and that's you know that happens in SE conversations with strangers and it's uh, even more difficult to navigate when it's someone you're living with. Why does that, do you see that? I mean, how frequently do you see that where it, you have that, what it's called in psychology, right? There's a backfire effect sometimes when you get too close. Um, you know, how often and do you see that? And kind of what's, how do you approach that? Take well, literally, literally backfire effect uh, when you present uh, your interlocutor with arguments or they, they know something that maybe contradicts what they thought and they back, double double down back no it's not the, the right way to say it but yeah literally this backfire i don't remember seeing it ever in my real time conversations but it people can move goalposts sometimes it happens it might be sad so i i don't think uh, this should be considered uh, as something significantly different i would just go about the same way try to understand what is his current position why he thinks this way what is the, the real reason for example if he increased his confidence that covid vaccine is dangerous what was this reason is the real reason like if, if there was not such information would would it change anything well he seems to also you know maybe this is maybe a, a, somewhere that she might explore for the next conversation is he seems to have assessed a threat level from these unforeseen side effects and, and question how, how did he how has he determined that threat level because that seems to that's at his current position going to always outweigh any benefit from any immediate benefit from taking the vaccine and so you really want to probe that part of it what's this read the classic oatmeal comic about yeah. the backfire effect it, you know it's like you know, people were put in an MRI machine. They were given some examples of political, you know, political examples and arguments, and it was. It seemed to be very similar to like you know, someone encountering a, a predator. So that's that's what the backfire effect research is based on. Do you guys think that that is a different? To me, my first, you know, response. I mean, I think. Well, did, is that not his real reason then? Right? It may not be. Yeah, I, I would call attention. Like, I noticed that you said this two weeks ago, and now it's this reason. What was the shift? I don't know if that was covered or not, but I would want to get into that. Like, and what would cause it to shift again? Like, how tight are you now to this new standard? And 
have you set the standard for taking the vaccine really high compared to your standard for not taking it? And now you can explore that gap. Like what's, why might you have a higher standard for taking it as opposed to not taking it? Would could probably be a good place to go as well. And I'd be interested to find out what, what information he thinks that he will be able to obtain from 5 million people versus a hundred thousand people. And what is that extra number does he think in his mind is going to, um, help him make a better decision. I'm mm. kind of curious where he comes from that. Yeah, what, do you, what exactly are you waiting for here? Is it just the report of a higher number or is there something else inherent in the data that's leading you to change your mind? Oh, you're muted, Robert. I hear your lips move. <laughs> I, really, I yeah, see your lips move. All right, just talking. Um, yeah, I really like the scenario because um, uh, it, 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 it uh, fairly portrays uh, uh, the vaccine hesitant is not, uh, you know, wearing tin hats and 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 uh, being irrational. Uh, the husband is, tr is trying to be as rational as he can, uh, uh, focusing on uh, on the key facts that he feels are are, are relevant, and it's and it's driving uh, the conclusions that he's has reached. But I think the elephant in the living room here, in 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 terms of the scenario you see portrayed, is that he's only sixty to sixty percent confident in his position. That is to say, there's plenty of room for doubt in in uh, in in the position that he's taken, and so I would explore that uh, much more in terms of there's there's a there's a healthy there's there's things that are giving him pause. Uh, so what are those things? Uh, we, it's, it's a question to perhaps exploring that. In yeah. a disarming way to ask a question for him would at first say ask him what would make you more confident in belief. You're only 60-40. What would make you 70-30? What would make you 80-20? And I'm sure he would, uh, I'm not sure, but he'd likely be able to, you know, come up with those reasons. And then when he's come up with the reasons what would make him more confident, then you can reverse the question and say, okay, what would make you less confident in your belief from 60-40 to say 50-50? And when you go, when you ask a question that way, it, it sometimes can help the person feel more relaxed and heard. And, and it makes it seem like that we could go either way on your confidence level, depending on where the evidence takes us. So you can see why in the, in the outline for the steps of uh, street epistemology, why confidence level um, is important. It's relevant to the, uh, to the discussion and how it can be used as, as one of the tools within the SC toolkit uh, to explore uh, the, the conclusions that people come to. You may also find that you're talking to somebody who's 100% confident. They couldn't possibly get more confident than where they currently are. Um, that's in that case, I might ask, like, does that mean you're closed minded to this idea? Like you, you, you've made up your mind and you, you can't, you can't revise your belief at all. And if uh, a follow up question to that could be, if I took the opposite position and I was a hundred, and I told you I, w I couldn't possibly revise my belief, what would you think about me? Um, so a great way to do an outsider test for being steadfast in a position that couldn't possibly move. Yeah, that confidence scale is really useful. What would it take to get you to a 100 if you were at a 60? That's really good, yeah. And one thing, being a husband-wife, you know, it, it may be useful for the wife to, to think back. Are there other times you know, in, their, in their relationship where he has changed his 
mind on a certain topic, you know, and, and she may want to go back to the well and, and how, was, how was that done? Did, did she help to affect that? And maybe I'd like to share another practical advice. Uh, it will work for this case and for other cases, I guess. Uh, sometimes it's good to just repeat back what, what your interlocutor is saying and show them you understand them, but think about it to yourself. Like uh, you ask for, for their reasons and you can just repeat back. So are you saying that this information that they only tested 1 million children and not 5 million children should make us hesitant? Hmm, that's, that's interesting. And just, just ponder that and th let them think about it. If it doesn't make much sense, they might pick it up for themselves. If it does, well, then we can explore it further. Maybe you will change your uh, view on this. Or maybe you can follow up with questions like, uh, is it important for you what experts think about it? Would it mean that even if experts think it is enough, you, we should still think it's not enough? Hmm, that's interesting. And you can just leave it at that for some time. And I, I love the fact they're both working. I love the fact they drafted this list of questions for the pediatrician. You know, that, that, that shows that they are both they're, they're both working to try to come up with a solution here. You know, and you know, focus on the fact that you know, they need to come up with a decision one way or the other. And occasionally you'll talk to somebody who's 100 percent and they refuse to come down on their confidence level. And that brings up an important concept of falsification where if a person's at 100% and nothing will bring them down, no matter what you show them, what they can. And it's interesting to see how they view beliefs at that point, because the way they view that belief and maybe other beliefs is that, is that they're wed to the belief, because if nothing can show them otherwise, they no longer hold the belief. It looks like the, whole, the belief holds them, really. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a useful conversation to discuss at that point. I like one thing I like about the confidence level kind of, you know, asking them that is if you ever read some of these narratives that people post on Reddit about their relatives changing um, and becoming very different over a short period of time to where now they're, you know, and maybe they weren't against vaccines before and now they are. Um, you know, as you watch them shifting, it's often this question of, you try all these methods, but at some point, sometimes you do have to walk away, right? I mean, sometimes you can get into, as you have relationships with somebody that if if they're, you know, at this 100% and not willing to make any movement, how do you know when that is? How do you know when you say, you know what, this relationship's no longer healthy for me to be around? And And I know this is moving more into psychology and not your area as much, but I kind of, I feel like that's another healthy or helpful piece for us is kind of to say, you know what, if someone's going to say that, then that's telling me a bit about what I need to know, right? Like if they're not interested in dial, if they're not interested in ever changing or ever hearing anything, then maybe that tells me that, that I have exhausted my efforts, right? Um, I, I feel like that's something that would be helpful for my group, you know, to hear. Um, and it actually kind of leads into the next question that I thought you guys could take on on slide 26, which is, Kind of related to this um and this one is uh keep going yeah how do you get through the cloud of misinformation so talking about these extreme cases just like you said this hundred percent right if you can't agree on the same set of facts how does somebody approach that how do you approach this with somebody 
Um, I think with this one, we want to figure, like if it's a cloud of information, to me, in my mind, that, and maybe I'm misinterpreting, that means like they're uh, gish galloping you a little bit. Like maybe they've got a lot to tell you that's all, all this information and it's like a hundred bullet points. I want to divide their, let's say they're 90% confident in their idea. I want to see which one is the biggest reason, which reason has the most effect on their number. And if I take away this reason for you hypothetically, and I'm not saying that this reason isn't a good reason, but let's just say it's a bad reason for a second, or maybe let's say this reason is not available to you at the current time. How much does that affect the, the total number? Does that number drop at all? And if it doesn't drop, is it really a reason to get to the 90? And if it doesn't affect the number, keep fishing for what does affect the number. And whichever one affects it the most is the one I probably want to focus on first. Well, and you mentioned too, kind of the Flintstones things versus, right? I mean, I, you know, starting with something that you've got to find that shared understanding and starting with something maybe easier too. You know, as you get through that gish gallop, if you have all of those, okay, like you yeah, said, so what's the smallest contributor and what is the biggest contributor, right? To these yeah, that helps. I don't, I, sometimes I almost think it's like it's a defense mechanism when somebody just keeps throwing claim after claim after claim after claim, and now you're like, I don't know where to go. You have to isolate a claim. They can do the same thing with reasons. And to to Nathan's point, yeah, let's figure out which reason has the most impact in your confidence that this is true. And then you drive down to the epistemology. Well, how did you confirm that that's a good reason? But just to take a step back, this, this, this idea of a cloud of misinformation, that suggests to me that maybe there are many other beliefs that this person has where they're, they're, they're gleaning information from suspect sources. Now, it's tempting to say, but your sources suck or something, or like, I know the sites that you go to. Why do you even trust those sites? <laughs> right. what, I, what, what I do in, in a situation where I, I think that somebody might be conspiratorial minded or they're they're just glomming on to whatever might appeal to their desires, confirmation bias, I'll usually take a step back and say, can you walk me through your process for how you decide which site that you'll believe and which site that you won't? You're stumbling across websites and forms of information all the time. What is your process for saying, that's a good site as opposed to that's a bad site. Talk me through your reasoning process on how you make that decision. So now you're not even talking about claims or reasons. It's this meta discussion about how you decide what you decide to believe. And, and can, can I tie back to the husband wife? Because they, they went to an expert. They went to their pediatrician and, and with a list of questions. And even then, the husband was suspect of some of her answers. Right. Well, you know, that's really interesting because they both agree this is not different sets of facts. These are this is the same set of facts, and yet they're still viewing them differently. And that's how many really times did they go to that pediatrician? We keep coming back to that one example, but how many times did they go to that pediatrician and that doctor made some recommendations and they didn't challenge her views on the recommendation? Like they just went along with it. But there's something unique about this one in particular. Yeah. What is it? It, Share your observations. It, it sounds to me like the, the husband and wife in that scenario, or uh, before they speak to the pediatrician, agree that this is a reliable source of information. We will ask the pediatrician, uh, pediatrician questions. But all of a sudden, when the pediatrician comes up with answers that the husband doesn't like, suddenly he's not as a reliable source anymore. Right. And, and, and open to question. And uh, so the idea then is this is these are clear evidence of confirmation bias. Right. So the, the idea then is to, is to be able to come to a, a set of criteria for 
uh, assessing what information is reliable. In, in general, as you say, the, the, what, what are reliable sources uh, uh, of information? Uh, for some, uh, a reliable source of information is any source that confirms what I already believe. Right. And, and maybe we're maybe we're realizing that maybe the, the statistics aren't that important to the husband. Maybe there is another underlying reason uh, because the, the appeal to the expert did not sway him whatsoever. Or, and so maybe the, she needs to keep on drilling down. Maybe there's something else that he, that, for his misgivings and not what he's what he's citing as, as his reason. And sometimes with these these kind of topics, it could be as simple as identity that a person identifies I am an anti-vaxxer or I or I or I am a pro-vaxxer and they they're a part of the group and to change the belief would you're not just changing the belief you'd have to change your social circle uh your neighbors uh you know who, who you say what to um I mean it, it could just change the belief just you can't just change the belief in the vacuum. Maybe they'd have to change their whole lives because they identify with it and they hang out with people who believe the same thing. And that and can for him, you know, but yeah, he says 60, 40. Yeah, so, you know, is he really, <laughs> yeah, not, not to keep on glomming onto this poor couple, but it, I, it, this one resonates with me because I'm married. You know, I, I've got, you know, I have these conversations with my wife. Uh, you know, we got children. We got to make these decisions. So it's, it's very real. Okay, sleepy. All right. Uh, let's oh. go to slide 27. Let's see. The next question is, um, we actually have this one and the one after it's very similar, which is just how effective is this method compared to other methods? I've seen a lot of people propose various potential strategies, such as a psychiatrist um, with something like motivational interviewing or how to talk to a science denier. They're not, I understand these aren't all mutually exclusive and I, I'm curious to know how this method fits in with the others. When can we know which method to use over another? Stuff like that. There's a lot of different kinds of vaccine hesitancy. Good question. I wish we had studies showing whether SE was effective or not effective. We only have our, our personal anecdotal experiences. Um, for us that upload videos, we usually hear back from people who have attempted something similar and they share their results and it's usually pretty positive. Um, there are also similarities to motivational interviewing and cognitive behavioral therapy. We've even in the course in, in the in the act of putting together this course, that's one of the questions that we have is how does SE compare to other approaches that are out there? And we're getting some really interesting answers. Some of the feedback, it's very similar or you're even going further than what we would do in a clinical setting that because like there there's we're just lay people who are asking these questions. Um, whereas like maybe a therapist might offer a solution that the patient finds that that would fulfill them. Mm -hmm. Whereas we're usually challenging claims to see how you concluded that it's factually true. And there's an important distinction there. So it, it's hard to say like, um, but there are similarities. There are some differences. Uh, this is something that we're still trying to figure out. And we're having people like Mark actually just recently joined the ESSA community over the last year. And he came from a, from a, a clinical kind of background. So maybe you can speak to this a little bit. Yeah. I mean, my background is clinical psychology uh, and or clinical neuropsychology. And uh, there's a lot of similarities. And that's, I think what, when I saw the videos on YouTube, I, I, it just made so much sense to me immediately realize what was happening, what they were, what they were attempting to do. And, um, and so, but it's not therapy in that sense. And it's this thing that anybody can practice and it's a skill that anybody can learn. Yeah. We formed a, a nonprofit organization called Street Epistemology International to 
call attention to what it is that we're doing so that experts will come forward to help us study SE in a, in a more formal academic setting so we can see, uh, do people enjoy the talk? Do they have better understanding into their own views? Are they shifting in their level of confidence? Are they interested in learning the, to the tool or the technique in their own interactions? Like stuff that we would say, well, that's probably a good indication that there's something to this approach. But right now it's we're in the very nascent stages of this, I think. Yeah, I want to add that it, it is difficult to compare street epistemology against things like motivational interviewing or CBT because uh, motivational interviewing, CBT and other approaches have their intrinsic goals. Uh, they, they were not designed to conduct any kinds of conversation. So actually street epistemology draws some of the tools from those, from the Socratic questioning as well, from other approaches like deep canvassing, for example. So Srivastamology is basically an attempt at creating a compilation of the tools that work best for everyday situations when we talk about uh, beliefs about the world. So unfortunately, currently, we don't have a hard proven scientifically evidence that Srivastamology is a great compilation. We, we hope that it is, and we're willing to put it to test. Currently, there is none, and it, it is difficult to compare it to something because uh, it's not like we know a, a lot of different alternative approaches that have the same goal. Yeah, and up until recently, we haven't really codified what it is we're doing. Like that that's one of the cool things about the course is we're writing down exactly what we think is happening and the theory behind it and, and, and putting this out to the world. But ultimately, yeah, it would be great to be able to study it. Mm -hmm. It is very rigorous. Uh, I would just add uh, one uh, additional caveat here, which is that in comparing street epistemology to motivational interviewing or cognitive behavioral therapy, that you you um, pre proceed from uh, a, the assumption that uh, the problem of vaccine hesitancy is somewhat medicalized, somewhat problematized. And I, I think that necessarily treating the problem as, as a psychological uh, issue with respect to the, those who are vaccine hesitant, maybe uh, a, a bit of a, you have to recognize the lens that you're applying here, that this, uh, this the vaccine hesitancy may not be some kind of psychological or psycho psychosocial uh, problem. Um, so street epistemology being an informal form of direct, genuine, honest conversation and, uh, and rapport uh, it's it's people speaking to people at, at a peer to peer level. This uh, is uh, has an effect too. It, it's not uh, necessarily a medical approach that you uh, you'd pursue. This is probably a good time to mention that when we use, when we're using SE when we're using street epistemology, we're assessing our conversation partners' process for arriving at their level of confidence that their belief is true, not whether or not the belief is true. It's their confidence level that we're exploring. So there's, a, there's distinction. another very important distinction there. I think those that are interested in SE kind of recognize that certainty is really appealing. You know, I think we, I'm not, I'm, I, don't, I'm, I don't have the psycho psychological background that Mark does, but I have this, this own knowledge in my own head that certainty really feels good. But SE is the process of how did someone arrive at their level of certainty? Uh, and if, and if, you're, if, you, if you're certain for good reasons, um, bully for you but the, our 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 goal is to, to drill down as to is there really meritors is your certainty well founded that's very mm -hmm. interesting to, to most people who get involved in se and having and said 
Sorry, okay. I was just, no, I was just going to say kind of bringing in the flavor from our perspective here. I think that's why yeah. a lot of us on this group are excited about this approach, because what we see in our group as our stories that we share is we see people that have changed very rapidly over a, a short period of time, over a couple of years. And to me, looking as an outsider, that means that their their reasons perhaps aren't very strong, right? Like there are reasons that I feel like there's some conflict that you, if you can sit with them and help them see that, it, that's what makes me hopeful. That's part of why when I look at, you know, the sheets and with this approach is if people don't have solid foundations to why they think the way they do, then that's a good sign that this approach may be helpful, right? Because at the end of the day, regardless of statistics, it's about finding the right approach. People are motivated by different things. And this is another tool for these people that have not been motivated by horror stories, deaths of their neighbors, um, <laughs> right? All of these others. It's another tool to help them see um, and uncover their own lack of reasons in many cases, I think. Yeah, the thing I like about SC is that it helps you figure out where to meet them so that you can then back off and let them process it or give them the information that they've revealed to you that they need. And you might encounter somebody who will respond really well to data, but you, I wouldn't lead with that. Like you really need to like think about your goals, identify their claim, get their confidence level, figure out their reason. And then at that point, you might it might start to gel, oh, this is a person who might really respond to data and then you can give it to them. And one of the reasons why I like street epistemology conversations better than conversations involving techniques like CBT is that in these kind of conversations, you actually sometimes have convers you need to talk about concepts such as truth and which is can be elusive. It's elusive at times, but it helps you understand where the person is coming from. And sometimes you'll talk to people and they'll say, well, this belief about anti-vax, uh, my anti-vax views, it's, it's true for me. It's, it's my belief and it's true because I believe it. And then all of a sudden you're having a conversation, what does truth mean? And, and, and that could be very telling because if someone says it's true for me, well, you can give them all the facts in the world. It's still, whatever it is, it's still true for them. That's a really good point is that we almost always assume that the person that we're speaking with thinks truth is objective and that there's there's a tr there's a true and a false to every claim, and not everybody thinks that way. So that's one one of the things that you probably, if you remember, on one of the slides we showed the box of Tic Tacs that refers to a, a thought experiment that we'll do. If we ever get the sense that somebody's thinking relativistically, like oh well, it's true for me that the vaccine is safe, and it could be true for you that the vaccine is unsafe. That is a red light. That is you need to stop and address how they're thinking about truth at that point. Mm -hmm. There's the there's the Tic Tacs. Uh, <laughs> so this is just a thought experiment where we ask the person, we hold up the box of Tic Tacs. I have mine right here. I have them handy. Uh, I, I use them on the street. So would you agree that the total number of pieces in the box is either even or odd and it can't be both? And then depending on how they answer that, you can get a good sense of whether or not they think truth is objective or not. If they think truth is subjective, evidence won't matter. Giving them facts won't matter. You need to address that hurdle first. Yeah. I got a couple of videos on my channel about that one, by the way. Oh, yes. So. He's the master <laughs> at getting into subjective and objective truth. Yeah. Check out Nathan's channel, Abstract Activist. Mm -hmm. So we have a question on, um, I'm kind of looking as, as our time has gone by. I want to make sure we get some good ones. Um, I want to just touch on this issue here where um, if you go to slide 36, uh, they say, most of the people I've spoken to have changed their mind, have done so over time rather than having a sudden epiphany. 
Is it better to slowly chip away at people over time and what techniques work best? And we've talked about that a little bit already at how this is something that you do in bites and it's over time and you're creating that rapport and I can see all those things. How do you know when to stop? So that's kind of how I'll kind of tweak this. And how do you know um, how much to do at once? What would you guys say to that kind of in the frame of this question? I love the question. So let's let's get into this one. This is a good one. When do you stop doing SE? Body language. Watch out for body language. When you're going deep into someone's belief that they, and maybe they identify with this belief, they're a part of a tribe, whatever this belief happens to be, they might start feeling personally uncomfortable, even though we're doing the very best we can to make it about the belief and not about them personally and trying to separate those two things, people can start feeling uncomfortable. Uh, they might start to like rub their shoulder or like rub the back of their neck or something like that. Look for these cues and then maybe check in with them. Hey, how are you doing, by the way? Is this going too fast? Uh, should we slow down? Should we pick this up later? Um, just get their consent to keep talking. Some people get really uncomfortable, but they they don't mind it. So it's kind of hard to know. I like to ask them like, or I like to ask my conversation partner, like, I won't know when, when, uh, when it's, time to end the talk because I will just keep going. <laughs> if you let me talk to you, I will talk to you all day long. Like I'm I'm really interested in this. That can help because that can help carry it forward. Um, though, yeah, just check in from time to time to see when the time is right to end it. And then you might want to just uh, when, if there's a, a an omission from, or is that the right word? If there omission. is a, what was that? Admission or omission? Admission, I made yeah. this exact same mistake recently. I did. I, I did. Uh, <laughs> if somebody, let's say they uh, they say something profound to you uh, that you haven't heard them say before, that might be a good time to end on that note and say, "Great, well, let, let's end there." I want to think about what you said. And then maybe like we can pick this up tomorrow or in a couple hours or next week. And I want to listen back to this conversation because I record my talks. <laughs> and and I want to think more about what you said. I hope you do the same. And if you happen to record it, by the way, which is something that I recommend people try to do, even though it's kind of dorky and weird, but everyone's got a phone, just record it. Send them the audio file so they can listen back to their conversation. And it's like a pebble in their shoe. And they've got this file and maybe they'll listen to it back between the last talk and the next talk. And now both of you have uh, more to say the next time you talk. And the length of a conversation doesn't really matter because there's plenty of examples of people here uh, on this video who will bring a timer and they will time out an SE conversation for five minutes. And it's amazing how much you can get accomplished in a five minute SE conversation. So. And when you do those short conversations, you don't really run the risk of going too long and 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 and, and pushing a person too far or as much of a risk, maybe. I kind of like that, though. You're saying this is how long, right? Like, we're going to just, can you just talk with me for this amount of time? And using all these, you know, these other tricks you said, which is to deal with the emotion. You say, I care about you. I want to have this conversation. And it's just going to be short, but I want to hear, I want to understand what you have to say. I want to understand how you, how you got, how, why you have the, you know, what your logic is behind this and just let's talk. I mean, I feel like that's kind of disarming. Um, yeah. 
how long is, is there an ideal time that you have found between conversations? I mean, if you're doing this a little bit here and there, you know, too long and it, the, it doesn't stick, right? I mean, what do you, what would you say to that? As far as how far to spread apart conversations like this? I'd say it really depends on how much weight they put into this belief and how much they identify with it. Um, if they identify with it really strongly, they might need some extra time. Uh, if they loosely hold this idea, you might be able to talk to them the next day. Really just, uh, I mean, the best way to find out is to ask them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Sorry, that's exactly the point I was going to make that that uh, you want to continue these SE conversations um, uh, right up to the point where you don't have consent to have these conversations anymore. That the idea that each each conversation uh, is associated with some kind of informed prior consent and so if they if you if they if you want to have a conversation and they're willing to have it then you have it but if you don't then that's that's when it ends it could be a real rookie mistake to want to keep pushing 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 because you're noticing that they're thinking about it and it, it, that's it kind of feeds into your own ego like wow we had a good talk like they're really thinking about this and i've never talked to somebody like i never talked to this individual about this topic in this way and it could like let's meet again tomorrow when yet they probably the best thing that you could do is wait two weeks, three weeks, maybe wait until they bring it up again or the topic organically comes up. Uh, that would be good to stop because you don't want to overwhelm the person. The, the biggest change seems to happen after the conversation when they're thinking about it. So if you have a really moment, a good moment of reflection or what we call aporia, like that moment of like, hmm, I've never really thought about that. That might actually be a good signal right. to start wrapping it up so that you can end on that note and they can be left with that thinking. Right. Because this, this is going to be a, a very different approach for a lot of folks. How many times in life were we actually asked to show our work as far as how we've arrived at a belief? It doesn't happen do it very much. often. So it's, it's going to be jarring to the person, even if, it, even if they don't seem jarred outwardly. Inwardly, they're most likely, this is probably you know a, a first time, so to, to, to take it slow and, and like Anthony says, don't, don't overwhelm them. It's kind of like deciding when do you call for the second date kind of a thing <laughs> the person who enjoyed the time is probably going to be a little too anxious and you probably want to give it a little more time before going back to it so i would say ideally the time is when they want to talk to you so general suggestion is just try to be such a conversation partner that people will want to talk to genuinely about any kind of stuff they will want to just discuss their deepest ideas with you and they want to know what you think. They want to hear your questions. That would be ideal. All right. How are we doing on the questions? Um, sleepy. We're doing good. I think we should take, you know, we can take a few more um, for today. Let me just go see. Um, yeah, this is a two-parter, by the way. So we're, we're going to be coming back again in about two weeks, did we say? Maybe. Yeah, maybe we haven't picked it. a date yet. But I think this, you know, this is to start a conversation for people. We have, I have added the link to the public drive of those tip sheets so that um, everyone can kind of get into those and see. I think those are such good examples for people to kind of work into their head as just another, another approach. Um, so another conversation on slide 30 <laughs> says... I have seen the vaccines uh, referred to by those who refuse them as quaxine, the Fauci ouchie, I see that, a jab, a spear shot, et cetera. How do you begin a conversation with someone who can't even be rational enough to say the word vaccine? 
Um, and then they kind of go on about so much resistance is related to fear of long-term effects. Um, and so there's a little bit of a kind of the medical thing of how can we explain vaccines don't have long-term effects when the vaccine they're scared of has only been used for a year. Um, that first part, especially, how would you, how do you start with that? I might ask them what it is. What do you mean by that? What is that? What is a vaccine? How does it work? Good point. Definitions? I, 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 I wouldn't care. I, I, I would use the term they want to use. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Go with the word. Like, definitions. Yeah. And that could trigger you too. Like it, when I see words like that, it tells me you've been reading a lot of material against the position and you're really sure that this is true. Like you're really, if you're, if you're adopting tribe, tribal language, it shows me that you're really committed to it. And it could be really triggering to be called an evolutionist, for example, or Fauci ouchie or whatever, or um, snowflake. Like these, these little terms needle at you, but try to recognize that it needles you and ignore it or adopt the language or just like, don't, don't even mention it really. Cause it's not relevant. The, the, these little terms aren't relevant. What's relevant is how sure they are that they're correct and their reasoning for getting there. So try to avoid those are those are little triggers to upset you. Those are like easy things to trip over. And my advice would be just like recognize it and move on. And try not to be judgmental. When you say they are being obviously irrational, those are judgments that I would suggest avoiding. Better to think about it as we're all being sometimes more rational and less rational regarding different kinds of beliefs. So it's it's nice to think about people as being separate from their beliefs. This person, I love them, and they just happen to hold this belief, which I may or may not agree with. I can just discuss it with them politely. Don't don't put a tag on them like they're such a such person. That's yeah. a good point, yeah. Rob. The words people use are clues to how they're thinking about their thoughts. That's it. Like just say, hmm, it's interesting that you phrased it that way. Now let's like work together to figure out how you concluded that it's true. And this yeah. isn't intrinsically a human problem. We're all walking around with false beliefs. I mean, that's all just of us part mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. And some of it is just whether we can recognize it and whether we have the tools to to grow and know about it or not. And there's a there's an SE uh, uh, survey, man. Nathan, you'll, you should you should talk about that because they obviously there's an obvious right question there. there is. Right there, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. I was thinking about it. Yeah, like, what, is it possible that this belief that we're holding is mistaken? And and if the answer is yes, uh, how would we go about discovering that? Yeah. Yeah, and the related one is you know believing something that is true feels the same as believing something that is false, you know, <laughs> right, and, 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 and that whole appeal to certainty, uh, you know, it, it all kind of ties together. Yeah. If you ever want to take a fun detour, you might want to check out the survey that Nathan is really well known, known for. You can actually facilitate it with multiple people. And you're not even talking about claims like the vaccine or anything like that. You're, you're talking about, about epistemologies. You, you're talking about epistemologies and how you look at the world and how you're reasoning. And usually in the, in the process of going through that, people bring up claims to help illustrate how they're thinking about things. So it's a really good way of identifying claims to explore, but you don't even have to get into the sensitive nature of claim exploration 
and you're talking you know, like you're exploring where can people find that survey do, do we we have a link yeah, to yeah. it on the se website i know it's a cool questionnaire yeah yeah um, resources on yeah so I'll, I'll put it in the chat a link to it in the chat so so this would address exactly the the um vaccine hesitant person that says well i the vaccine is dangerous and it's i just feel that it's dangerous it's it's it's, it's a feeling uh, and uh and I, that's how i know it's true Right. And typically, I mean, there's different ways to respond, but you might say something like, well, is how you feel about this belief in this case, is this a reliable way to know whether this belief is true, how you feel about it? Right. Yeah, so good. You guys have given us so many good things. Um, let's see, we'll do a few more. One, there's uh, two different questions that are very similar, and this one just says, so it's more of a scenario for you. Um, this one says, Which you know, slide I, is this? Uh, slide, I'm sorry, slide 29. <laughs> Thanks, Reed. Um, and it says, I'd like to know if there's a special approach to convincing someone who didn't get vaccinated, subsequently survived COVID, still won't get vaccinated. Is there a different angle to take? And there's another question as well. So somebody who is, you know, I, I mean, I can think of which excuse kind of category that falls into, but basically this, been there, done that, I'm going to be fine. How does that what are your suggestions for that person? Mm. Same, understand them. So I don't think it's a, it would be a significantly different approach. The, the general rules are the same. Be there with them, understand them, respect them, and discuss their reasoning. Yeah, maybe, maybe a, a brief discussion about, about, uh, about the severity of the virus if they didn't get vaccinated or or something along those lines would be good but yeah the the process is basically the same figure out how how they're arriving at that conclusion that they don't need to get vaccinated because they have already survived covid um you might want to ask them what would you find convincing otherwise like what what would you need to see that would cause you to realize that maybe you should actually get the vaccine even though you've had covid already mm -hmm. would probably be the way that i would go you also ask, like, are your feelings about the vaccine the same across the board for all vaccines? Yeah. And that can really help us differentiate, like, they're thinking about this one in particular. And um, if they are, let's say, the same for all vaccines, and they and they just really don't think that anyone should take any of them ever, um, uh, let, let, you guys let me know. This may be a leading question, so please correct me if it is. Um, I might ask a hypothetical uh, about whether or not they would prefer to live in a world where no one ever took any vaccines and what kind of like wonder what kind of world that would mm. be. What kind of world would we live in if we all were in a place where no one took any vaccines? What would that look like? Or vaccines after you've had been exposed to the virus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would it be a world? Would it be a world that you want to live in or not? Could be. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's leading. I think that's throwing that out there. You're not trapping them. You're, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, like if there was a portal and we could walk through it, and that portal led to the same world as this one, except for vaccines were never discovered. Would that be a better place for you, for your family, for your mom, for your grandma? Yeah. Would you want yeah. to put other people through that portal? Would you want to live in that world? And if the answer is no, well, that's quite revealing. If it's yes, we got more digging to do to figure out why that is. 
and how they like know it. that that would be a better place for us. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Or a world where there's a, a minimum time before a vaccine is released to the public. Like there's a certain amount of time that it has to be tested for. Which world would you rather live in? Yeah. Yeah. I love the one when you say, what would you need to see to change your mind? I just, I love that because when I hear somebody say, you know, well, I got it. I was fine. So I'll be fine again. Then, you know, they're basing their entire decision. Like you guys have said, I'm learning here, <laughs> their right. feelings, right. And they're dictating their decision entirely on their own experience and not the shared experience that we all have. Right. And so saying, well, what would you need to see? Uh, I, I mean, I, I really think that makes you go, oh, well, gosh, if I saw that, you know, people got significantly sicker the second time, right? If they were logical, right? But so often we forget that our experience is not everybody's reality. This confirmation um, criteria goes to, at, to the heart of what I'm trying to do. I want to know, like, we're always seeking ways in which to confirm our ideas and our beliefs. And so what yeah. we're trying to do is ask people to do the opposite of that. Right. Yeah. How, how do you disconfirm your belief so I can know how you confirmed it so right. I can get to where you are? Very counterintuitive to have a it's conversation. very counterintuitive. Yeah. It's re it reads 248 thought experiment. Yeah, that's, oh, that's, yeah. that's a funny game. Yeah. I, I'll just make a quick observation here, like if for anybody watching uh, this, that that in in uh, the the natural thing for people who are not using SC to do is saying, "Oh, come on, you guys, you you haven't presented the data for natural immunity and all the uh, all the research that's been done. You have you, you, there's 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 slam dunk, uh, you know, uh, refuting information and data that you, you 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 should you should you should present. Yet in the, all the answers you've seen here, we haven't talked about that at all, and yet can can have somebody consider possible the, the the path that would change their mind mm -hmm. yeah be be prepared for somebody to say like if you say well what would you need to see to change your mind and they say nothing well then you know that you can stop giving them things and you need to explore the life the potential liabilities of being so dogmatic about your view any view with questions yeah. and it's also important to remember to ask the same question to yourself Yes. What would I have to know in order to increase or decrease my confidence significantly? And you have to seriously consider it. Right. This tool is for all of us to become less dogmatic about what we think is true so we can live a more responsible and epistemically healthy life, which we presume is probably beneficial to human beings if we do, which is why we're so excited to be here to be talking about this stuff with you all. It might be challenging as the interviewer to do this uh, when you're first starting out doing SE, though ultimately try to ask questions that you're comfortable with answering also, right? Right. <laughs> and prepare for what, like if you're asking for disconfirmation criteria, like what would make them drop their number, think for yourself what would make your number go up. Mm -hmm. So you're being fair with your conversation partner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Cool. What's the what's the next one? We cruise through these. I like. I like these yeah, guys. you know, there's actually a lot like, of them are very uh, similar. So um, they're. That's, you the, know, that's the, see, that, but that's that, that's an interesting right. point that we should probably discuss. Is that right. the claim almost doesn't matter because that's, the approach is the same. Right. We want right. to understand what you mean by your words. We want to get a sense of your confidence. We want to figure out your biggest reason that impacts that confidence, and then we want to work with you by asking questions. How you're verifying that you have good reasons. 
and then the all best. the other stuff at the at the at the at the beginning and the end, like figuring out what your goals are, and then ending on a good note, and then trying to meet again. Yeah. So that that's probably is what we're seeing here is that many most of the advice we're giving is the same because this is such a versatile tool. It, the claim is almost independent of the advice. Yeah, absolutely. The, the best SC conversations I've ever had were about belief claim claims I've known nothing about. Yeah. Nothing about whatsoever. <laughs> I have no preconceived notions of what they're talking about. And then I'm free to ask anything and and have a, a blank slate just to try the method. Yeah. And if you've made it this far, you might be interested in SC and might be wanting to practice it, uh, you know, Thanksgiving or this weekend. Please record it. And we would love to get that recording if they're if they're, whoever you talk to yeah, send it to is, is open to having that be public. And maybe next time we could review a snippet of it or something. That would be great. That would be cool. We 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 are really lacking of examples where people are using SE with loved ones. We have lots of examples with strangers on the street, and we have anecdotes of people using SE with their loved ones, but nothing really recorded. Uh, like audio would be fantastic, video would be mm -hmm. phenomenal. Yeah. Like, but yeah. but it's like it's like the missing link of SE is actually to see this being used with family and friends. And I think the application is probably a little bit different too. Maybe maybe we can get into that at some point. Yeah, and it's a skill. I mean, you know, I've watched myself of the of the earlier interviews or conversations I used to have, and you know, they're just not as good as they are now. And just just keep practicing at it. No one's there's no perfect SD conversation, and it takes a while to get the concepts down and what what's happening, and just just keep at it. And, and this goes to the point of pacing. You know, with Anthony or Reed, you know, they tend to do more. Of the, you know, the videos you see of them, you know, these are one-offs. They're only going to have this one conversation with that one person for five minutes or 10 minutes. Whereas family and friends, these are most likely, unless you get completely alienated from the family, these are going to be repeat customers. So you, know, you don't need to, to tackle the whole topic in one sitting. Absolutely. So as we kind of wrap up here, so we've put within the post, um, I have, I put the links so that people can find um, the guide that you made, the tip sheets. And, um, we are going to schedule, the date is not yet determined, but we will schedule a follow-up and that follow-up can be more situational. So for those of you that are watching, if you try this or you have more specific scenarios you want us to go through, like the scenario we talked about today, keep those in mind because when we put up the second and the next invite, those are things that you can put in there and it'll look something like this and you'll be able to add yours and, and those will be things that we'll go through. Um, as far as other resources to learn more about this, there's you can see all the, the YouTube channels for that these guys have where you can see this in action. Um, and then finally, you guys have the most crazy Discord I've ever seen, but maybe that's just because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a youngin anymore. Um, <laughs> We're a bunch of nerds, so that's what I know. What can they get out of the Discord if that's something that they want to go to? Tell us about that. Yeah, that's a great point. There is a Discord, three d epistemology. <laughs> <laughs> Training sessions, yeah. You, so they have they have people. Ram is one of the volunteers. Uh, be a few. Well, there's people all over the world that volunteer to conduct training sessions where you could practice talking about vaccine hesitancy or the opposite position or anything else in between. And then people will be listening in live. It's it's usually audio only, so you can have two people talking using SE. And then after the conversation, the observers get to share what they thought about it and give you tips for getting better at it. So if you're looking to practice it or just better understand what it is we're doing, uh, do we have a link to, we'll need to put an invitation link in the post. There probably already is one, yeah. but it's, it's one of the best places at the moment to go to, 
to immerse yourself in it. And it is a little bit intimidating. It's taken me two years to kind of navigate my way around it. Uh, sometimes right. even people will go out and live stream and then the live stream the audio to the Discord too, and you can listen in as well. But it's just yeah. a great resource. And the practice sessions are friendly. Uh, you know, people often people are doing it for the first time and the critiques are nice and it's it's all for, you know, the goal of just be able to practice this method better. Yeah. One thing I want to mention is allow yourself to fail. Yeah. Record, record and allow yourself to fail because you will. And you you play back think your own conversations, that's how you figure out where you failed. Oh, th at this point. They were. They said A, B, and C, and I was addressing E, D, F. Right? Yeah. That wasn't the right way to ask my question. And by doing that, you can you can reform your own way of asking questions, so that way you can you can bridge that gap of understanding between the two of you. Allow yourself to fail. Sometimes you may not even know what where you screwed up. So just sharing your conversation with somebody, even if you're relaying it, somebody might ask you a couple more questions to help you isolate where it went wrong. Mm -hmm. And then of course you can learn from it. We, we talk about failing forward a lot in street epistemology. Like even if any, any one of us here on the panel were to have a talk where we're using SE today, I'm sure we would look back on it and think, oh, I dropped the ball there. That didn't go exactly as planned. Absolutely. That's, that's common. But the, the key thing is to recognize it and share it with others so that we can all learn from it. And that's what we've been doing over the years. That's why I think we're much further ahead in this technique rebuttal space because of this community aspect of what we're doing. Well, and you can use the community before you have to use that loved one you're most concerned about too, right? I mean, you know, we wanted to get this first visit before Thanksgiving, but at the same time, I know that it's not like you're gonna be ready maybe for this this Thursday um, to do all of this, but it, I want, we wanted to get this in front of people so they can start thinking. And maybe what you can do over this Thanksgiving break as you talk to people is try to figure out where do you start? You know, when you have that person who has all these reasons, try to figure out maybe what can be your approach, utilize the discord, come on, practice through there. And so that you can be better prepared because we're all, I mean, many of us will see that same family again in just five weeks, right? So, you know, those resources are there for you. Um, and maybe they're a little friendlier than that family member that you are so emotionally wrapped up in right now, right? So you can uh, take advantage. And there's going to yeah. be, um, and as I said, this will be, a, there will be at least a second parter. Um, and, you know, we just want to help people. I mean, our, our group is, you know, we're very, We've done some really good things in our group. We've convinced now 100 people to get vaccinated from some of the horror stories they've seen. Right. We have It's a different approach, more of a scared straight approach, but we know it doesn't work for everybody. And the, you know we're trying to find ways to get people as many tools in front of them, as much information as possible so that this, you know, no one else has to lose a loved one. I mean, Bob, you shared your story and that's, you know, that's awful to go through and to watch and to lose somebody. So. That's really where we're coming from and why we wanted to get this tool out in front of you. And thanks, Sleepy, for doing what you do. This is yeah. uh, it's really important what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. So I would, I would suggest one yeah. quick between uh, now and the next one uh, time we do this, one quick homework assignment to anybody who's watching this and has gotten this far is to uh, take a look at uh, at least a minimum of one, one or two uh, street epistemology videos in the various YouTube channels that you see represented here. Um, really? uh, being reasonable, what uh, with Mark Nathan at Abstract Activist, read at Coral Drill Curiosity, Rom at, at well, I don't know how many people can speak Russian, Rom, but anyway, there you go, and uh, Bob, <laughs> and Bob at uh, Mortgage Hill Music, 
and and of course anthony's the main really good channel there so um take a look at these channels you can get the links to these channels also at uh at the street through the street epistemology uh, uh discord channel as well um and also on the street epistemology uh website so uh that's your homework assignment to uh get out there and uh, take a look at some of these se conversations and we'll see uh more informed questions at uh for the in the in in our next time we get together on this yeah, and try not to make a, a, a snap judgment about the method by watching one or two videos. You're, you'll watch like a, 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 a host of them <laughs> on different various topics. Uh, from different people, because we all do it differently. People. Yes, yes. And maybe try to pick something more recent too. Nothing from like 2014, 2013. You'll notice a lot of fact giving and maybe even ridicule and it doesn't go very well because this has been a learning process for us too. It's like it's potato chips. Time. Once you watch some, you're like, you just got to keep going. Yeah, and then it something is. really amazing starts to happen. You start to see like it what it is we're doing <laughs> and it's really captivating. Well, then, then you start noticing in other conversations too, like, oh, that's where they went wrong yeah. because they were talking mm -hmm. past each other and the definition of that word. Right, just but this is also a growing thing, right? This is a fairly yeah. new, right? I mean, this hasn't, this kind of movement in this technique and this approach is fairly new. So, I mean, of course you're gonna get better with time. Um, and yeah. you know to now where you are at this place and you have so many resources with the course and the discord and all of that so thank you guys so much for doing this anthony for being so helpful i mean i emailed him on a friday night and was like <laughs> not thinking that this would go anywhere and it, it did so um i'm excited and uh, i hope this helps some people some people with the loved ones they care about Thank you so much for having Thank us on. Really this is awesome. wild. And we'd love to see mm -hmm. more of these too, not just with us, but anyone else interested in SE, like reach out to groups like, like Sleepy is a part of and see if you can put something together. Let's get the word out on this. Okay. Yeah. All right, guys. We'll see awesome. you next time. Okay. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, Thanks, everybody, so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. The Street Epistemology Podcast is a production of Street Epistemology International. You can donate or learn more about this nonprofit organization at streetepistemologyinternational.org. The views, guests, and topics expressed here, or not expressed here, do not necessarily represent those of the organization.